Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. So tonight I want to talk to you about a different kind of punch. Uh, This is the punch that you didn't expect. This is the punch you didn't expect, right? So we're going to, I'm going to pray. We're going to get straight into tonight. God, I just thank you so much for every person that's here. Uh, And I pray, Lord, that tonight they hear your word. And God, we want to be transformed by it. So Lord, help us to lean into the scriptures. It's not important what I say. It is important what you say. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak through me tonight and and help us to live different in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So tonight, I want to begin by telling you two stories, okay? And these stories are straight out of the Bible. The first story is out of John chapter 8. You can go ahead and read that in your own time. But as I did last week, for the sake of time, I'm just going to jump in and I'm going to rephrase this story and tell you all about it. We're going to look at a second one out of Matthew 25 in just a moment, all right? So here is the first story. Now, this is something that actually happened now, back in Jesus' day. He was uh, hanging out in town one day. And some Pharisees were hoping that they would trap Jesus. Now, they wanted to trap him because a lot of people were starting to fall in love with Jesus and his ministry, and he was starting to get quite a following. So they said, we've got to trap this guy. How are we going to do it? So they set up this scenario in which they think this will be impossible for Jesus to get out of it. And, and let me tell you what it was. They found a woman and they caught her in the act of adultery. Like in the act. And you know what that tells me? It's that this was something that was planned by these religious people. So they were looking out, hoping for her to make this mistake so that they could set Jesus up. Isn't that sad sometimes when people just want to catch you doing the wrong thing so that they can point it out rather than just helping you get through life? But that's what these religious people were doing. And so they find this woman, they catch her in the act of adultery, and they bring her before Jesus. By the way, where was the man that was caught in the act? Well, we don't know about that because they're just interested in trapping Jesus. So they come to Jesus and they get this woman and they throw her uh, down before him and they say, all right, so Jesus, this is what we want to say to you. Uh, we just caught this woman in the act of adultery. This is pretty serious, okay? Now, the law of Moses says that we should stone her. What do you think we should do? Now, if he says... Absolutely, we need to stone her. They're hoping it'll cost him some of his relational currency with people. And if he says, no, 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 we're not going to stone her, then they can say, ah, caught you. See, you disobey the law of Moses. Nobody listen to this person anymore. So they're setting Jesus up. And do you know what the Bible says Jesus did? He's just drawing in the dirt. Now, I've read a lot of commentaries on this and heard this passage of Scripture for years, and I've heard lots of people preach it. And every time everyone says the same thing, it's that this is a really weird thing to do. There, there is no actual explanation for why Jesus was drawing in the dirt, but he's just, they're asking him questions, and he's drawing. And so here he is, and Alan Davies, he, he preached this message here, a number of weeks ago, talked all about this one message. He said that drawing in the dirt was essentially the equivalent of someone, let's fast forward that to modern days so we can understand what that might be like. It's like someone asking you questions and instead of talking to them, you just get out Facebook and start reading. And someone saying, hey, I'm talking to you and you're just ignoring them. This is like drawing in the dirt. You're just scrolling through Facebook. Oh, I'm sorry. Were you talking to me? I was busy scrolling. I'm on Instagram right now. What are you doing? Oh, you were asking me a question. Whatever. So this is what Jesus is doing. Essentially, he's just totally ignoring them. This is a crazy thing that Jesus does. And then they say, they're asking these constant questions. Okay, well, Jesus, what are you going to do? What are you going to say about this woman? And so Jesus says, all right, well, uh, uh, he who's without sin, you cast the first stone. You go and you do that. And it says, as soon as he said that, the oldest Pharisees, they're a little bit smarter. They said, he's got us. I can't believe it. He got out of it again because they understood something. They said, hey, we all got, we've all got sin. This is a problem for humanity. And every single one of them knew that none of them could throw a stone. So it says that the oldest Pharisees, they started walking away. The youngest ones were like, Ugh. they're still thinking about how they can get him. They don't even realize they've been beat yet. 
So they're still hanging around, watching for it, and eventually they all walk away. And then this is what happens. What does Jesus do? He's back to drawing again. I told you it's a weird thing to do. No one knows why he was doing this. He's back to drawing again. He, he says to this woman, hey, has anybody condemned you? She says, no, my Lord, none. He says, all right, well, I don't condemn you either. He says, go and sin no more. I think we should be so quick to point this out. Now, I'll tell you why I love this story is that it talks about the grace of God. I love that Jesus didn't go ahead and just condemn this woman for her sin. I love that he didn't do that. But let's be quick again to point out that what did he say? He said, go and sin no more. In other words, when Jesus forgives you of something, it's not provision to keep sinning and then going back to him and say, hey, can we just sort this out again? He says, yeah, yeah, you're forgiven, right? He says, no, 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 I want you to begin to change your life. Go and sin no more. So this is the first story. Let me tell you the second story. The second story straight out of Matthew chapter 25, and this is a parable that Jesus is telling. So both these stories really center around what Jesus did and what Jesus said. And then this story, he's telling a parable, and, he, and he, as he's sharing it, he says there was a man who was obviously very wealthy, and he had servants that worked for him, and said that he was going away on a long journey. So he called his servants, and he said, all right, I'm going to entrust to you uh, my property, and I'm going to give you some talents. Now, a talent was a sum of money, and it was a, it was a large sum of money. And so he says to the first guy, all right, I'm going to give you five. And then he says to another guy, I'm going to give you two. And to another one, he says, I'm going to give you one. And he gives to each of them according to their own ability. And he says, I want you to manage this until I get back. As you read on, the scripture says that at, after a long time, and if you understand what that means in the original language, if you actually go ahead and look it up, it means at the end of a lifetime. In other words, at the end of his lifetime or the end of their lifetime, but after a long time, he comes back and he says, now what did you do with what I gave to you? And the first person says, well, you gave me five talents and here I multiplied it. Here's five talents more. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. He goes to the guy with two talents. He said, what did you do with the two talents that I gave to you? He said, well, I had your two talents and I multiplied it and here are two talents more. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And he comes to the last guy and he says to him, what did you do with the one talent that I gave to you? He says, well, I just want to explain something. I knew that you were a hard man reaping where you have not sowed and gathering where you've scattered no seeds. So I took the one talent that you gave me and I buried it, which is quite customary because you can't, there's no internet banking, so you can't just transfer your funds down to the Bank of Jerusalem or anything like that. So they take the money and they, and they bury it in the backyard and, and, and cover it up. So he says, well, I took what you had and I decided to protect it. Like I buried it here. Why don't you have what's yours? And the master says, are you kidding me? You thought that I was a hard man, that I would reap where I haven't sowed? He turns to that servant. He says, I will cast you into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, nobody likes gnashing of teeth. You don't like gnashing. and You don't want to end up where there's weeping that's crying, or gnashing of teeth, all right? No one wants to be there. This is where he puts this guy. Now, if I take the first story, I look at a woman that's committed adultery. And if you were to ask me, was that a serious sin? I'd say, oh, yes, the woman committed adultery. I mean, this person, she's, you know, here she's going from house to house. She's a homewrecker destroying relationships and think about their kids and all the horrible things that she's done. And what does Jesus say to her? He says, go away and sin no more. He says, I don't condemn you. And then he tells this other parable where this guy just doesn't handle his money right. And he says, right, to so the guy that doesn't handle his money correctly, you are going to be thrown into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, if I had have asked you this question before I gave you these two stories, I said, all right, well, all sin is, all sin is bad. Okay, fine. But if I was to ask you, what's really the worst sin? All right, so sin is sin, but there are different sins. So you might say a word that you didn't mean to say, like crap. Anyway, <laughs> by the way, yeah, you, you can say that at Activate Church. So, so you might say, and I'm not going to put that on the same level as, as, as murder, all right? So there's, there's sin, but there's, but there's levels 
of sin. So if I said to you, what was the worst sin, committing adultery or just not handling your money correctly? You say, oh, oh, absolutely. The person that, uh, that committed adultery, that's the worst sin, not according to Jesus. Do you see something that you never saw before? And that's why this is the punch that you didn't see. And I reckon, I'll tell you another guy that didn't see it, the guy with the one talent. Because I got a fair idea that if he had have known that at the end of his life that just burying it was going to cost him so greatly, I have a sneaking suspicion that he wouldn't have buried it his entire life, that he in fact would have done something with it, which teaches me something about that last servant, which is that he didn't see this coming either. That's why this is the punch that you didn't see. And I read this story and I, I think you think like me. I, I think we think together. I don't think I see money like God sees money. I don't, I don't think I see money like God sees money because this story challenges me so profoundly to look again at what I previously held to be true. And at the end of the day, who really cares what I think? Because tonight isn't what about anything about what I think. But don't you really care about what God thinks? Don't you want to know what God thinks about this very topic? Because you should. Now, let me go ahead and ask you a question. A little bit of honesty, a little bit of feedback tonight. All right. Who thinks that they might have you know, ever just mismanaged their money? All right, so some of you are putting your hands up. Some of you are being all righteous and you just didn't even respond right there. That's okay. You have a problem. We will again pray for you immediately after the service because I think that everyone above the age of 12, the kids men are fine, but everyone above kids men has probably at some point not handled their money so well. Kids are really the only people that can get away with this, by the way. You know why? Because they're learning. Let me, let, let me tell you about my kids because we're trying to teach them the value of money all of the time and they have zero idea about it. So my son, it was his birthday uh, just a couple of weeks ago and he got given a birthday card and in that card there was $20. And so he, oh, he was rich, right? So he, he's got his $20 and we're all sitting around having tea and coffee. And my son, he just totally disappeared. We couldn't find him. And so my wife, Sarah, she went looking for him. Where is he? And she found him in my office defacing government property. That's right. He was writing his name on that $20 so that no one would confuse his money for their money. He was saying, this belongs to me, right? Now, it seems kind of funny, right? But you know what? People think money belongs to them all the time. So can I just fast forward to the end of your life and help you to realize that your whole life, money is just going to move through your hands. And at the end of your life, you're never going to take it with you anyway. So my, my, my wife, she said to him, oh, that's illegal. And after genuinely, momentarily freaking out, thinking he might go to prison for writing his name, we found a way to get his name off the money. Now, when he gets money, it burns a hole in his hands. As soon as he gets it, I want to spend it. I want to spend it. And that's exactly what we did yesterday. He said, um, I've got this money. Let's go to the shops. And, and whenever we go to the shops and we're walking around Toy World, everything he says, I says, he says, oh, I must have this. And, and I've wanted this for so long. He's never seen it before. He doesn't really even know what it is. He just wants it because now it's in front of him and he just wants to spend that money. And in fact, he did. He bought a pair of nice vision goggles for $20. I don't know how well they're going to work, but anyway, yeah, he thought that was pretty cool. And so as soon as he had his money, he spent it straight away. Why? He's learning how to spend money. So is my other son. His name's Isaac. He's a little bit younger. Uh, I had a $20 note. This is a totally different $20 note. I didn't confuse it because the other one had Judah's name on it. And so I had a $20 note and uh, he said, oh, you know, can we have $10 each? I said, well, I got a $20 note. What do you want to do with it? You know what his idea is? Cut it in half. You can take a $20 note, you cut it in half. Half of 20 is 10. Dad, there you go. I said, put those scissors down, okay? So he literally has scissors. He thinks that this is a good idea. Now, this is so funny because my kids obviously really don't understand anything about how money works, right? But it's okay because they're children. And here's what I've learned about people. 
just because you grow up and you've got it doesn't mean you know what to do with it. Would you be familiar with this phrase, you don't know what you don't know? So it's possible that you really have no idea to, what to do with the resource that comes to you. And don't just assume because you have it that you necessarily know what to do with it. You might not be in debt. You might actually have savings in your bank account. That still doesn't necessarily mean that you know exactly what to do with it. So let me ask you a question. Are you trying to learn what to do with it? Have you developed a mentality that says, I'm going to start to develop this, and, and this idea of learning to use, with, use what I have and what comes to me? Because if you don't learn how to use what you have, you could end up with a horror story. And I'm going to tell you one right now. So a friend of mine, Tim Brosnan, he used to work for a, a uh, organization that we actually partner with as a church. They're called CAP, Christians Against Poverty. And he said that he would go out and visit clients that are, that are absolutely stuck with unpayable debts and they helped them to get out of debt and get financially free. And so he said the first client that he ever went out and saw and spoke to, he said, well, tell me about your situation. They said, all right. We have $100,000 worth of credit card debt. $100,000 of credit card debt at like 17% interest. And see, their idea to get out of it initially was we have a credit card that we can't pay. I got an idea. Let's get another credit card and we'll use that credit card to pay off the one that we can't pay. As you can imagine, then there was another problem because they had another credit card that they couldn't pay. So you know what their solution for that credit card was? Let's get another credit card. So you just keep getting credit cards to pay off the other credit card. Mind you, the interest is piling up and stacking up. And he said, so what are you doing about this? And they said, oh, we're not doing anything about it. What do you mean you're not doing anything about it? They said, no, we've, we've just given up. He said, well, you can't just give up. And they said, well, this is unpayable. We don't know what to do. Now, the thing is, is Cap went and helped them after a couple of years. Praise God, they did get debt free after putting in some serious uh, work and energy and effort. They did get debt free. But can I tell you what they might have experienced as they were going through that? Depression. They were absolutely depressed. Because when you have debts and you feel like they are unpayable and you have no solution for how to get free of those debts, they started to slip into depression. As they started to slip into depression and they said, we can't do anything about this, they started to have issues even amongst themselves. Did you know that the number one reason for divorce among married couples is still the stress that comes from handling the finances and the money? Do you know that married couples, they fight about money all the time. And maybe you're here tonight, you say, I'm not married, but maybe you've seen your parents fight over money and you see unhealthy it can be. Now, I can tell you right now, if, if you're a parent and you're responsible for putting food on the table and you have no idea where that money is going to come from or how you're going to pay your debts or how you're going to put food on the table, it puts an immense amount of pressure and stress on your relationships. It strains your relationships. It brings tension into it. You feel hopeless and you end up where these people end up. And they said in the end, they just decided that they would quit. I think financial pressure and stress is one of the most disabling things that you can go through as a person. It, and it puts so much pressure on people. And I'm telling you right now, guys, this is a knockout punch. A knockout punch. Now, you need to know something tonight. Money doesn't buy happiness. And it's good that you should know that because if you think that money will actually make you happy, then you will be eternally disappointed with that. Now, money doesn't buy you happiness, but it does give you options. It gives you options that you don't have if you're always under financial pressure and stress and burdens. See, if you want to go ahead and do something most of the time you need the resource to make it happen. Let's say you want to take a holiday, uh, you know, go on a holiday with some friends. Okay, fine, but you're going to need the resource to do it. 
Let's multiply that to a serious level. When you don't have any resource, you can't go and meet people for coffee. You can't go out and socialize. That's what people like to do today. And if you listen to the stories of people that have got uh, stuck in financial hardship, they say, you know, when everyone just says, let's just go out and meet for coffee, we can't do that. So they become isolated. So you can't just go ahead and make any decision that you want because you're trapped by your lack of resource. If you want to go on a holiday with your family or, or, or maybe provide some kind of financial uh, you know, thing for your family in their future, you can't do that when you've got nothing. Let me go ahead and say this. I believe that every single person that's in this room right now, whether you are a Christian or not, I believe God has a purpose for your life. Would you agree with me? Yeah. All right. So God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. And, and if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here to listen to this message. And by the way, if m- talking about money offends you, that's cool. We're okay with that. Just come back next week because that's week four. Because that's the other thing that will take you out. But right now we, we, we need to talk about this because God looks at it and says that it is really serious. Now, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian... Just because you don't know God's plan for your life doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's just that maybe you haven't been introduced to Him and you don't know what it is. So God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. He wants to do something with your future. Let me tell you what I've discovered about that. Dreams are free. But ministry costs money. The dream is free. The vision is free. God puts it on your heart. But to actually get that thing that's inside your heart off the ground and starting to move forwards, most of the time, you're going to need the resource to make it happen. And I could tell you over the last few years how many conversations I've had with people that have got all the dreams and they've got all the vision. In fact, some of these people that I can genuinely think of have gone to go see graphic designers and they have got the coolest logos and the slickest slogans that you can find and they have zero resource to pursue the actual ministry. The thing that God really wants to do. And this puts people in a frustrating position because although they've got the desire in their heart, they don't have the resource to carry it out. Now, I don't think that that's where God wants you to be. I think that what God wants to do is help you to manage what you've got so you are resourced to begin to pursue that call of God that could be on, that li- on your life, that thing that God wants to do with your future. Let me give you a good example about how increasing your resource will actually change another person's life. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had Compassion here, which is a ministry that helps support children in uh, poverty situations over in third world countries. And they came and praised God. Uh, on that night that, they, that we had Compassion here, uh, we sponsored a, a heap of kids and they said, man, your church is so generous. Every time we go to Activate Church, we just, we just know that there's going to be a whole heap of kids sponsored. And so thank God for you guys because we had a whole heap of children sponsored. I know, praise God. I think, that that's, I think that's awesome. So I spoke to one of the people uh, about that sponsored a child, right? And um, I don't really want to give her a name away, so we'll, we'll just call her Miss Holly. And so I spoke to Miss Holly, and, and I said to her, I said, oh, so you sponsored a child today? And she said, yes. And I said, oh, that's so cool. She said, well, you know, the thing is, is that I realized that uh, my, years ago when I was a uni student, I didn't have very much money. So I decided that I was going to sponsor a child, and I would split that with my friend. I don't want to give her name away either, so we'll just call her Miss Worth. And so... And so uh, Miss Holly and Miss Worth, they decided that they were going to both pay half for this child. But then on reflection, when Compassion were here, they said, you know what? <laughs> We've graduated. We have full-time jobs now. I think we can afford our own kids, right? <laughs> so they said, all right, you take the child that we've always sponsored. I'm going to sign myself up and sponsor someone new. That child's life has been changed because someone back here was able to increase their resource. And not only that child, but the community that they live in right now, they're thinking, I'm so grateful that someone was able to increase their resource because now they are free of the situation that they were in because, because Miss Holly was able to be generous. Does that make sense? So you see, as you're able to increase your resource, it begins to make a difference in the lives of other people. I told you that money wouldn't buy you happiness. 
And it doesn't, but it does give you options. Maybe you're here tonight and you feel like your options are limited. Some of you are so young right now, you, you, you may not even have a job or maybe you've got part-time jobs. That's why I'm so glad that you're hearing this message because you can save yourself tonight a world of hurt just by hearing about the mistakes and decisions that other people have made. Man, if you're here tonight and you feel like you've maybe messed up, like you haven't uh, handled what you've had really, really well, I'm telling you tonight, this could be the first night of the rest of your life where you make a decision that sets you free and you walk out of this place with a completely different mentality, being enabled to start to pursue the things that God has put onto your heart. So I'm excited about that for some people that could be here tonight. Now, here's the thing. Just because you're in a tough situation doesn't mean necessarily that you made a mistake. Because if you understand anything about life, is that it throws some pretty unfair punches sometimes. Sometimes people have got caught in a situation they never saw coming because they didn't have medical insurance and suddenly there was a hospital bill that was outrageous and unpayable, but they cared so much for their loved one, they said, do it at any cost. And now they're in a situation where they're in debt. That's not fair, but it happens. For some people, they ended up getting divorced and they had to have their assets split. And so they're starting again. I bet that feels unfair, but it happened. And one of the things that you guys need to understand about life right now is that it's not always fair. And it doesn't ask you if you're okay while it takes wild swings at you. So this is something that you've got to figure out. And I'm telling you right now, you can make decisions today that will help you for the rest of your life. And now I want you to remember this. Please lean into this. If you were going to take a note, this could be it. I think it should be. If you don't handle your money, your money handles you. If you don't handle your money, your money will handle you. And it's so easy to happen. It's happened to me. So let me tell you a little story. I, I've been married for 11 years. Now I remember when Sarah and I first got married, this is how much we didn't have. We, I remember sitting down uh, the first week that we'd moved into our uh, you know, unit that we were renting, we had a 34 centimeter TV. I don't even know if they make those anymore, but we had a 34 centimeter TV on a cardboard box and we were both sitting on $8 fold-out chairs from Bunnings. And, then we, and, and we were happy and, and that's, that's all we, we had. But before we got married, we said, look, there is some furniture that we're going to need to buy. So one day we went out shopping and we went uh, to look at sort of bedroom furniture and, and so forth because that was stuff that we didn't own before. And so we went and we found a bedroom suite that we loved. And the person said, you can take this today. You can buy it today. But what you're going to need to do is sign up for a GE money credit card. And then you can have this today, take it today. And you've got six months to pay this debt back. Now, I will tell you that we absolutely 100% fully understood our obligations of that contractual agreement. We understood the penalty that would be in place. And for those of you that might not know, this is how it used to work with GE money. They don't do this anymore because too many people were in debts that were unpayable, but this is how it used to work. Whatever money you'd sign up for and put on this credit card, you were able to take that stuff with you, but you had a six-month period to pay it back. And you had to pay every cent. And if you did not pay back every cent, then they would charge you interest. But they would charge you interest on the original price, at the purchase price of the item. So we had borrowed $4,000. That's all it was. And if we had paid back $3,999, they would backdate the interest, not on $1, they backdate the interest on the original purchase price, what was $4,000, and they charge you at a rate of 30%. And we knew that that's what would happen. But you know what happened to us? Life punched us. <laughs> 
And we ended up having some costs that we never saw coming. And if we had have known that those things would happen, then we probably wouldn't have done that. We worked it out. We had the money to pay it, but we got hit with some things that we never expected. And now suddenly we're in a position where we could not afford to pay those debts. Now, at the time, I've got a job. I'm working in recruitment and I've got to have meetings with clients and I've got you know different meetings with my team. And we're talking about budgets and pipelines and how many sales and what's your forecast for the next quarter. And so everyone's talking in the office about what they're doing. The only thing I could think about is in two weeks, if I don't get this thing paid, we are in so much trouble. I don't have no idea how we're going to pay this back. We looked at what we owed and we looked at the paychecks that we had and we said, we will not earn enough money in that time to be able to pay this back. So while everyone's getting on with life, we're totally stressed out about how we're going to do it, how we're going to pay it back. And I would tell you this, we did find a way to pay it back and we didn't pay one cent of interest, but it wasn't easy and we did not not borrow money from mum and dad. It wasn't easy, but we got it done. But I tell you, for that two weeks, I couldn't think about anything else because I was so stressed about what we were going to do financially. And I would not wish that on you or your families or your parents. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. And so tonight, what I thought we should do is that we should talk about some things Do it help you to get free so that you don't end up in the same situation as me and crying out to God and saying, God, help me. This is what I've discovered as well. If you put yourself in a really bad position and you're like, God, just bless me, bless me. I've found it's been my personal experience that God often doesn't bless dumb. So for me, I'm like, I've made dumb decisions. Guess what? I'm going to have to figure this out and live with it. I tell you, the grace of God was on us to get through that, but it wasn't easy and we still stressed about it. So tonight I want to talk to you about removing some of the barriers to your freedom. And and this would be the very first thing that I would say to you. If you're going to take notes, you should be writing this down. This will be very, very helpful to you. Number one, get out of debt. By any means possible, if you can, try your best to get out of debt. Now, debt isn't a sin. It's just a really bad idea. And when people get into debt, their money starts to handle them. Look at what the scriptures say. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. The borrower is the slave of the lender. Now, when you're broke, you become a slave to whoever has lent you money because you owe them. Now, I think as Christian people, again, if you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're about to hear what I'm going to say. If you're a Christian, I think that you should be a generous person. There it is. I think that you should be generous with your resources, generous with your time, generous with with what you've got. You should be a generous person. But this is what I've discovered 100% of the time. Broke people can't be generous. Because when you're broke, you've got nothing to give. And I'm sure that you could come back to me and say, oh no, but when you're broke, you can give time. That's cool. That's a different sermon. That's not what I'm talking about tonight. Tonight I'm talking about you not actually being able to help and resource people financially because you're in a situation where you can't be generous, you broke yourself. I think this is why the Apostle Paul says, owe nothing to anyone. If it's possible, don't owe anything to anyone. If you're spending money that you don't have, you haven't learned the principle of sowing and reaping. Because if you start to spend money that you don't have and you're buying things that you can't afford, there is always a time in your future where you're going to have to balance the books and either someone's going to come knocking at your door and say, you're going to have to pay that bill or you have to pay that credit card. But either way, someone's going to come asking for what you owe. Don't sow seeds of ruin right now for your future. It just doesn't make sense. So the first one, get out of debt. Number two, you ready for this? Act your wage. Act your wage. Now, the thing is, last week we spoke about comparison. And I kind of feel like if you can handle 
the challenge of comparison, then you might be able to act your wage. But if you're always looking at what other people have and you want to live like they live and you're trying to keep up with them, you might not be acting your wage. First of all, they might be earning more money than you. So to keep up with them is a really dumb idea. Second of all, you have no idea what stewardship principles or practices they have in place. They could be living beyond their means. And if you're trying to keep up with them and they're living beyond their means, and you absolutely are, now the two of you are just following each other in a horrible cycle and no one's getting out of debt. Everyone's going deeper. This is a bad idea, a terrible idea. Remember, Comparison, it steals your joy. It's a trap. It steals your joy and it robs your worth. Now, the antidote to comparison, this is what Paul says in Hebrews 5. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content. Now, that is the antidote for comparison is be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, don't get me wrong. I want you to be content with what you have. I want that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have goals in life. I shouldn't, I'm not saying to you that you shouldn't be trying to financially get ahead. But there's a huge difference between having financial goals that are going to set you up and pursuing them properly and diligently and making foolish mistakes by trying to keep up with other people. And this is what Jesus essentially, uh, or what Paul is saying. He says, Uh, that Jesus has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, he's saying, you should be content that the biggest debt in your life has been paid by your Savior. Because if you want to get free of anything in your life, I could talk to you about money tonight, but let me say you this. The unpayable debt that every human being has on planet earth is the fact that we cannot earn our way into heaven. We cannot earn our way into God's good books. Thank God for Jesus Christ who settled that debt on the cross. This is the gospel message. He set you free from a debt that you could never pay. He says that should be the thing that you're most excited about in life. But when it comes to financial issues and sources, resources in your life, be content with what you have. Spend less money than you earn. Doesn't that make sense? Spend less money than you earn. Don't use, all right, listen, listen in. Don't use money you don't have to impress people you don't know because you can look good and be dumb all at the same time. This is what Warren Buffett says. He says, don't save what's left after spending. And if what you're doing right now is spending all your money, just like my son Judah, and spending all your money, spending everything you have, and then looking at your bank account after you've spent it all on stuff that you didn't need, and saying, do I going to have enough to pay my bills? You're not approaching this right. In other words, I think Warren Buffett is saying you should have a bit of an idea about how much is coming in and how much is going out. You should have a plan. If you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. Here's point number three for those that are taking notes. You need a budget. Now, people say this to me, budgets don't work. Yes, they do. (laughs) You just have to use them. Now, if you don't use it, don't tell me it doesn't work. But you've got to understand, it absolutely makes sense, provided you've approached it properly and you start to look at it. And when you start to make a budget, it should be, by the way, a reflection of your values and your priorities. So if you were going to do this, and on your left-hand side, if just a very simple budget for you tonight. On your left-hand side, you make a list of all of your income. And on your right-hand side, you make a list of all of your expenditure. Add the totals up at the bottom. Now, if you're spending more than what you're earning, you have a problem. And one that you need to solve immediately because it's getting worse. Trust me, some people say, I don't want to know about it. Oh, you're going to know about it when someone comes knocking on your door. So you might as well figure it out today. And when you're making that budget, here would be my encouragement to you. Since it is a reflection of your values and your priorities, here's what I would put at the top of your list. Giving to God. 
I would put God at the top of that list. I will talk to you from my own experience. For my wife and I, we have had times where we have felt under pressure. But right now, we currently tithe over 10% to activate church. And I'm paid by the church, but I don't want the money to go straight to the church. I want it to come to me because I want to give it straight back. That's something that I get to do. So we tithe over 10% straight back to the church. And then in addition to that, where possible, we try to be as generous as we can with people. In addition to that, every time there's some offering or something that we want to do as a church, we are always the first ones to give. I always do it. I said, let me be the first one to give. Do you know why? Because I believe in what the church does. This is the only organization on planet earth that seeks out that which is most lost to Jesus. It solely exists for that. And when you ask me, why would I care about that? It's because I care about people. I care about their eternity. I care about their future. And I will enable the church and resource it with anything that I can to make that a reality. So we do that every single week. That's what we do. We tithe over 10% to our church. You see, I think that there are barriers in your life to financial freedom, and one of them is withholding from God. So I'll try to say this as simply as I can for you tonight. I would rather give over 10% of my income and have God bless what's left than hold on to 100% and try to manage everything myself. Because in my personal experience, I could give you story after story where God's blessing has easily outweighed anything that I could give to Him. And I'd rather walk in the blessing of God so you actually could be holding yourself back by withholding what's owed to God. The other thing as well is when you give, it should be faithful. Don't, don't, don't give it and think, there, fine, like have it. You know, if that's your attitude, seriously, we are trying to move the kingdom of God forwards. But if that was your attitude, I don't need it that bad. We don't need your money that bad. We don't need that resource that bad. I'd rather you keep a good attitude and let God sort you out. Hold on to it until you can figure this whole thing out. But in the meantime, genuinely, I feel like you're robbing yourself. So these are, the, these are the barriers that people could actually have in their life. This is what Jesus said when it came to this. To, to, to your resource. He says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Whether he has enough to complete it, you got to count the cost. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see him begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. And I don't know about you, but I want to finish well. I want to finish strong. I want to give something to the next generation that I didn't have when I stepped into my life and with this church and this ministry. I'm saying for you personally, though, you can't afford not to budget. Handling money well isn't about getting rich or getting rich quick. The Bible doesn't sell microwaves. It sells slow cookers. So make the right decisions over time and watch what you have begin to increase because if you don't, you could end up making some terrible mistakes and it's so easy to do. And we're going to watch a clip right, right now that shows us what one person did. I had a partner who was a crack addict and he was a poison in my life. A week before Logan was born, the father gave up and walked out on us. It's scary having a newborn baby to think, how am I gonna bathe this baby? How am I gonna sleep? I actually slept in my car pregnant with a six foot four son in the front seat. And that was a hard night because he was willing to sacrifice and live like that. But, um, it shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to. I wanted to die. I was thinking of adopting my baby out because I thought, what kind of life is it to live like this? And what kind of life could I give him? You know, I've worked my whole life. I couldn't put food on the table. I couldn't pay a bill. I couldn't pay a... If I wanted to pay a bill, I 
had to go without food. So in order for my family to have food, food came first, bills came later. I was being evicted from my home. I was pregnant. I was just about to have a baby um, when this all happened. It was it was really hard. And then I called. I got Heather on the phone. She made me feel that I hadn't failed because at that point I felt like the biggest failure. And she made me feel like I. I did nothing wrong and I actually I had brought my family to woman but she's like no you didn't you're doing the best step you can to get better I could see that I had hope ahead of me I could see here I am being so hesitant for help when if I had had this help a year ago before the problem started that maybe I wouldn't be sitting where I was in that seat with the problems I had I wouldn't have been homeless. I wouldn't have been living in a car with a baby. I wouldn't have had docs saying they're going to take my children. I wish I had have gone there earlier. I actually wake up and I go, I love you, Jesus. When something I need comes to my door, I'm like, I love you, Jesus. Obviously, he's making a difference. And then when I felt my first moment, overwhelmed, actually overwhelmed. And I know he's there. Sunday I got up and I was like, I really need church. I need church. I look forward to church from the moment I walk out of that church. I'm looking forward to going to church on that next Sunday. It's my whole week is to get to church again. I wake my daughter up and I said, Jasmine, I said, do you want to go to church? She goes, the car's not working. I said, how do you feel like going on a bit of a walk? And she goes, she goes, Jesus did it. We can do it. I was like, okay, let's do it. So we walked 13.7 Ks to get to church. We weren't missing it. To you guys out there who support CAP, I want to say thank you. Because without you, I go, I would be living in a car with a baby. Um, And since I'm not living in a car with a baby, I would like to say thank you. How good is that? I think that is absolutely amazing. And I'm, I'm... so proud of the fact that we're a partner with CAP. And uh, one of the things that's on our hearts as a church is not just to see people get spiritually free in life, but as part of our mission, we want to see people get financially free where possible, which is why not only do we embrace CAP as a, as a course that teaches people about how to budget and manage what they have, but you know, in addition to that, we're a CAP debt center. And right now, we're just meeting people from the community that are caught in that situation, just like Kim, so that we can get them out of the situation that they find themselves in. I think that's worth taking the time and the energy and the effort to sow into something that's going to make a difference like that in people's lives. You know, you've got to manage what's in your hands so that you can fulfill what's in your heart. I look out tonight and I see so many people and God's got plans and purposes for you. But if you don't manage what's in your hands, you might not get the opportunity to fulfill what's in your heart. Don't be limited on what you can do by mismanaging what you have. Luke 16, 10 to 13 says this. And if this doesn't knock you tonight, I don't know what will. This is one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If you then, listen to this, if you then have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, that's money, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He says, if you've not been faithful with the unrighteous wealth, that's your wealth. That's your money. That's your resource. He says, who would actually entrust you? with the true riches. Do you know what true riches are? 
its responsibility in the kingdom of God. And here's the punch that you didn't see. If God can't trust you with money, He's not going to entrust to you spiritual responsibility because for Him, it's worth more. You could do more damage. So He says, if you don't handle your money right, like understand this, if you don't handle your money right, He's not going to give you responsibility in the kingdom. And can you imagine getting to the end of your life and thinking, why didn't anything come together? Or why couldn't it get off these, these ideas off the ground? And he says, because you didn't manage what you had. And there's the punch that you didn't see. You say, what? Are you kidding me? He says, I put it right there in my word. I said that if you don't manage and steward your resources well, I wasn't going to entrust to you the stuff that you really cared about. You got to manage what you have so that God can do something with you and your future. And I want you to remember this, guys. It's not about the amount and it's not about getting rich. It's just managing what you've been given. You don't have to be rich to do what I'm talking about tonight. You don't have to be a really wealthy person. You've just got to learn to manage what you had. Imagine missing out on your calling because you didn't manage your money. Wouldn't you get to the end of your life, see that punch and realize, I've made such a great mistake. I wish I could go back. I wish I could do it all over again. And I would put in that budget and I would make those good financial decisions. I would do it all over again. But by that stage, it would be too late. So here's the good news for you tonight, church. It's not too late. Maybe you got knocked around by some of the things that has happened to you in life. It's not too late. You can make a decision today to manage what you've got, what God has given to you, so that you can begin to set up yourself, not just financially, but spiritually speaking, and you can start to walk in the fruitfulness and blessing that God has for your life. Why don't you stand to your feet right now? I want to pray for a whole heap of people that are here tonight. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com, or download our app online, and have a great week.